welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. This last week was a, a really fun week in the life of our church. We had a number of students that went up to, uh, to summer camp, and really over the last couple of weeks, we had 35 or so uh, students from our church family who went off to the varying camps. And really the reason why I bring that up is, is not because that's why parents look so rested, is because we had a break. Um, but I wanted to draw attention to this fact that every student who had said, man, I want to try to get to camp this year, every single one without fail was sponsored by our church family, that the generosity of you and uh, others, even our online community gave towards camp. Every student who wanted to go and to have a chance to encounter Jesus in that setting, they were all sent and sponsored there. And I just want to celebrate that. You guys are uh, just a generous, generous family. And we also want to just give a shout out to all of those leaders that we sent from our church who went and uh, struggled and suffered in the mountains with uh, your kids, with my kids. Um, Man, we had a a great team of uh, servants who went up there, uh, everything from speakers to group leaders and things along those lines. And I'm just uh, so really excited about that because our camps this year were full of God moments. And that's what we expect. We actually expect that we, we set aside time to encounter the Lord, that he meets us in that place. It's one of the reasons why we gather on Sunday morning as well. That should be your expectation, that you don't just go to church, but that you are setting aside some time in your life to encounter the presence of God. And and when you posture yourself in that way, Scripture says this, that if you seek, that you will find, right? And he actually, the uh, God says of, of himself in his word, if you would seek me with all of your heart, there you will you will find me. Um, So just a great thing. We had a ton of God moments. Uh, uh, Our students were overwhelmed by the presence of God. They had healing in their hearts from really some very real uh, trauma that has occurred in their life, bringing their burdens to Jesus and exchanging them for his peace. Uh, The Holy Spirit was moving in their lives. And my kids and your kids on Friday, when they came back, they were excited about Jesus. And there's something about uh, an excitement Uh, about our walk with the Lord, the presence of God, that when we have that, it is uh, something that produces that in others. And so if you haven't had a chance to talk, uh, if if your kids went to camp, if you haven't had a chance to kind of debrief that, get their stories, let them share their stories because the excitement that they have, the passion that they have for the Lord is something that will reignite the passion that you have in your life for for the Lord as well. You'll have an increased expectation as a result of that. And one of the, the reasons why I'm uh, highlighting camp is really it reminded me of some places in my life where the Lord did significant things in me as a result of that as well. And in particular, in my early years in college. Um, and maybe you've been in a place like this where you kind of have found yourself uh, a little bit lost, uh, maybe not sure who you are, maybe almost feeling like you were living one or two or three different lives all at once and you were trying to get your bearings. That's, that's how I felt when I... Uh, was in college. My freshman year of college, I found myself feeling as if I was uh, living two separate, distinct, and uh, unrelated lives, uh, where in one part of my life, uh, I wanted to serve God with all of my heart. I wanted to be a godly young man. I wanted to pursue the things of the kingdom of God. 
Uh, it was a, a life where I wanted to serve in the church and I wanted to be useful. I wanted to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world around me. And then there was another side of my life where I was only looking to serve myself. And maybe that's something that relates to you, where, where there's this place in you that wants to serve God with all your heart, and there's this place in you that just wants to serve yourself and your own self-interest. And, and that's really where I was. And for uh, that year of college, very particularly that freshman year of college, I was just kind of bouncing back and forth, almost between these two personas. And at the end of uh, the summer, uh, between my freshman and sophomore year, I had an invitation to go to camp. And not to go to camp or summer camp as like a participant, not to go and to just kind of play and have fun. But I had gotten a phone call on the day that camp started from our youth pastor of our church that said, hey, they need another group leader. They need somebody to come up and to be kind of a camp counselor for this group of kids, do you wanna do it? And so the part of me that was into serving the Lord and pursuing the things of him said yes. The part of me that wanted to serve himself wasn't really that interested, but this side won out on that. And that there was a group of students that needed a leader, but they, were, uh, they, were, they weren't from the same church. There was like two from this church and one from this city and three from over here. And really what it was, it was the kind of the leftovers. It was the collective of kind of the, the island of misfit toys is how it, it felt. Just kind of just whatever was left was piled together. And honestly, that's how I felt. I wasn't supposed to be at camp. I wasn't initially kind of on the itinerary. There was no invitation to be useful. I was kind of like this leftover add-on, and I found myself in a collective of misfits, and that's kind of how we felt. But as the Lord began to move uh, within our group, and as he began to shape our lives, and he began to bring healing and transformation in us, there were some things that began to change. And in particular in me, I know that he did things in the lives of those students, but this changed my life. And towards the end of the week, I had an opportunity to respond to the Lord. And what I did is I just, I just re-surrendered my life. You know, I'd been saved a long time, and I, I had been struggling in this last year to kind of serve the Lord, serve myself. I was kind of bouncing all over. But there was this moment, there was this opportunity to just kind of re-solidify where allegiance was going to be and how I was going to live. And I resubmitted my life. I re-surrendered my life to serving the Lord, in, in my present and my future. It was just I offered all of that back to him. And the trajectory of my life changed. Like the course that was set in my life was the one that led me into ministry. And ultimately, if you really want to get picky and trace it, it brought me here to Sterling and continues shaping my life. But it was this posture of having to re-surrender. And that freshman year of college, part of my struggle was trying to figure out what's next. Where am I going to go? What are my next steps in life? And as I was trying to pursue and push and trying to make those things happen, what I found in my experience and what I see often in Scripture illustrated as well is that sometimes before we take the next step into the things that God has for us, we have to take a knee. We have to surrender before we can take our next step. And we've been discovering uh, our kingdom adventure in this sermon series the last several weeks. We've been looking what it looks like to step heroically into the plans and the purposes that God has for us. And most of what we've been talking about has been kind of encouraging us to take a step. We've been leaning forward. We've kind of been getting our nose out and we're ready to run. We're ready to go. But we're gonna pump the brakes this morning and consider that oftentimes... 
oftentimes we're required to take a knee before we take our next step. And I would just invite you to consider that when it comes to your faith and your journey and the plans and purposes that God has designed for you, that there may be areas of your life that you need to revisit and resurrender in order to take the next step into the things that God has for you. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and get that out. If you've got your smartphone or your tablet, I want to encourage you to open up your Bible app. Lord, we ask that you would soften our hearts today. Lord, soften our hearts to your word. Give us a willingness to be searched by it and to allow it to bring an assessment of what is true in us. Lord, for the places in our lives where we are toggling back and forth between serving you and serving ourselves, would you make those apparent? And would you give us a courage to address those today with the help of your spirit and the encouragement of your word in Jesus' name, amen. With your Bibles out, you can go ahead and open up to Mark chapter eight. We're gonna be looking at two separate passages in the gospel of Mark. Today, Mark chapter eight is gonna be where we start in just a little bit. But I want to give you some context for the passage that we're going to be looking at. It's one of the many passages where Jesus talks about what it means to follow him, what it means to be a disciple. And this has been kind of a common thing that we've been looking at in this sermon series where Jesus's most prevalent and most often uh, offered invitation to be a part of living life with him was follow me. Right, So his common invitation to the disciples over and over and over is follow me. He gives that as individual invitations, but he also gives that as collective invitation as well. And so there's this uh, invitation to kind of this heroic journey into the things of the kingdom of God. But we're going to look today about some of the things that are required as we're taking those steps. And in this context, Jesus is addressing what is required or what it takes to be a disciple, to truly follow after him. And in this passage, he focuses on the idea of surrender. So in Mark chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him and with his disciples and said, and I'm going to stop right there real quick. This, this calling together as Mark transitions the narrative from some things that are going on to something that Jesus is going to teach, this invitation that he is about to, to give and the highlight of it is for the crowd that is gathered as well as his disciples who are already following him. And this is how you can know that this is something that Jesus isn't just speaking to the 12 or to the three or to Peter. He's not just singling out an individual or a small collective select group of those who he wants to kind of have a sidebar and a deep conversation with. This is something where he has called the crowd together to hear these words. These are words for everybody to take to heart and to respond to. And so he calls the crowd and along with his disciples, and this is what he says. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed for them when he comes in his Father's glory 
with the holy angels. And so this, this invitation that Jesus gives here, it's not just a, kind of a one-time select few kind of chosen sidebar. This is an invitation to the crowd, to the collective, who all who would hear would have opportunity to respond. And in this, he makes it very, very clear that if you are going to really follow Jesus into the things of the kingdom of God, that there's some requirements of us along the way. Now, these requirements are not prior to So you don't have to get these things right in order for Jesus to receive you or accept you. These aren't things that you do to get salvation, okay? That's backwards. But when we have been saved, when we have submitted our life to his lordship, when we have said, yes, Jesus, I will follow you, these are things that will follow in our lives as a result of that. And they'll be required for us to move forward through different kind of seasons uh, or gateways of change, that as you are growing, as you are being transformed into the likeness of Christ, as you are becoming the fullest expression of the man of God or woman of God that you were created in Christ to be, that these are things that are going to have to be growing in increasing expression in your life for you to get there. So we can't always be just taking steps and trying to strive. There are places where we have to surrender, and that's what this passage is really focusing on. Here And there's three things that I want to highlight out of this that are, are three places of surrender. This isn't exhaustive, but it is helpful and it's a good starting point as we consider what it looks like to do this. But three places that we need to highlight surrender when it comes to taking a knee before Jesus before we take a step in following him. And so the first one is going to come out uh, of the first verse that we read that whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. And one of the first places that surrender has to be experienced in our lives in order for us to move forward is a denying of yourself. And what this is really uh, addressing is the idea of the surrender of your will. And this was the, the primary place that I was dealing with tension in that season of my life, where, where I wanted to surrender to the things of God, I wanted to be a, a, a godly man, and I wanted to pursue the things that God had for my life, but I also very much wanted to do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted it, in a way that served myself. And so what was at, uh, at stake there, or what was kind of in the middle of the tug of war for my heart's allegiance, it was my will. Was I going to uh, hold on to that? And, uh, and, and be in charge of that? Was that going to be the catalyst for the way that I live my life? Or was I going to surrender my will to the lordship of Jesus and in essence have it changed as a result of that? When, when Jesus is saying, here, if you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to deny yourself. There is going to be a battleground or a, a tension pull for whose will is going to be done. This is why when he teaches the disciples to pray that we say, thy kingdom come or your kingdom come, your will be done, that the right posture in pursuing the the things of heaven on earth is to come to our heavenly father and say, the way that you would will it to be is the way that I would want it willed in my life. It has to do with a surrender of will. And unfortunately, most of the time we begin to think about this, we think about just stopping doing naughty things and doing right things. Like we think of it as as a shaping of our behavior, and there's whole uh, seasons and uh, timelines in church history where that was what the focus was. 
where what the message of the church was not that there's freedom in Christ, but you need to stop being naughty and get your stuff together, or Jesus is going to be angry with you. There was a a one-sided or a perversion of the gospel, as it were. What Jesus is talking about here is a surrendering of our will to bring ourselves into alignment with him, and it will shape your morality. It will shape kind of what you do and why you do it. It will address your sinful urges and your sinful desires. But more than that, it's going to be something that addresses your drift towards self-preference and towards just kind of natural inclination. That ultimately, your will needs to be something that is surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. And what happens, and we've talked about this in in a few other uh, series, especially in our Made New series, what happens is as I begin to grow, as I begin to mature, as I begin to change because of the Spirit of God at work in my life, more and more frequently does my will begin to align with the will that God has for my life. See, if we read this as a deny of self and and we read it as this is the way that it always is for all time, that I never change and this is the constant battleground, then what you will assume is that you always have to say no to the things that are desires of your heart in order to say yes to the things that are uh, primarily God's will for your life. But if you remember in our Made New series that we talked about, Pastor Cameron addressed being changed or made new in your priorities and in your values. And one of the things that he talked about was the Old Testament, um, the, the Old Testament verse that says that when we would commit our way to the Lord or that when we would follow after the Lord, that he would give us the desires of our heart. Well, well how does that work? As I pursue the Lord, as I pursue right relationship with him, as I pursue alignment with him, as I pursue that as my first priority and focus, what happens is my will begins to be shaped by the spirit of God at work in my life and my will becomes more and more frequently aligned with God's will for my life. And as you grow, as you mature, as you become the man of God or woman of God that he has created you to be, there will be a tipping point where for you to say yes to God, you will also be saying yes to the things that you desire as well. So that in denying ourselves, ultimately, as we grow and mature in that discipline, we get to come to a place where we get to also embrace the things that are of our highest value and priority because God's will has become something that we have willed for our lives as well. Not just something that we're kind of uh, begrudgingly being obedient to, but something that we are hungering and pursuing. That's why Jesus talks about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, like that there's a desire to get there. And so when, when you read this, right, in the short term, it feels like a loss, right? Denying myself, like that's hard. And honestly, in the short term, you will lose. You'll have to let go of that thing or that priority. You'll have to be set free from that addiction. You'll have to let go of that self-destructive behavior. There there will be a short-term loss, but ultimately it will be turned and redeemed and restored and you will walk into a fruitful alignment with the things of God in your life. And so he says, you're gonna need to deny yourself. And then there's this second place of surrender where he says, now you're gonna take up your cross and follow me. And when he's speaking that to the, to the collective, both to the disciples and to the crowd at large, which was largely a Jewish crowd, this would have been a very offensive thing for him to say. 
The idea of bearing your cross or taking up your cross, that wasn't something that was used in any type of uh, uh, um, uh, Jewish or Hebraic type of context. It was something that was wholly reserved for kind of Roman capital punishment. It was uh, deeply offensive and degrading to even kind of talk about that type of a subject. And so this would be something that everybody would have kind of been a little bit aghast about when Jesus brings it up, that you're going to not only deny yourself, but you're going to take up your cross. And what, what happens when they would take up the cross, and, and we've talked about this, or maybe you've learned this at, at some point, but if you were uh, condemned to death by crucifixion, first of all, you were the worst of all criminals. It was something that was reserved for the worst of the worst, and it was, uh, it was intended to create a public spe- spectacle, and it was supposed to be so horrific that those who viewed it or understood it would be so repulsed by the possibility of that being their end that they would be frightened away from the activity that brought those who were succumbing to that to that point. And part of the process was carrying the cross in which the cross beam where the nails, uh, the hands would be nailed, where that beam, those who were condemned to death in this uh, Roman capital punishment, they would have to carry that cross beam, they would carry that cross per se through the streets. And they would be paraded publicly through the streets while everybody ridiculed them, while they were mocked, while they were uh, mistreated, while they were often beaten. And they were made a public spectacle of uh, on their way to the, wherever the place of crucifixion was going to be. And to carry the cross was to carry the admission of guilt. It was, it was, it was a, a horrific type of thing, and it was an admission of guilt to even do. Which just as a sidebar here, I just want to remind you, you may be familiar with some of this stuff because of the death and resurrection of Jesus and because he was uh, submitted to the, the process of crucifixion. And I just want to remind you, this is how cool God is in the details of scripture. Do you remember that when Jesus was supposed to carry his cross, that because he had been so beaten, because he was already so physically fatigued and battered that he could not bear the weight of it, do you remember that in scripture, somebody else from the crowd was brought in to carry the cross? This is, this is so like God to be in the details of the story. It's because Jesus wasn't guilty. To carry the cross to the place of crucifixion was to admit guilt. But Jesus was sinless. He was the sinless sacrifice for you and I. So even in the details of the nuances of what would have been the public theater and understood to be true, Jesus did not carry the cross to the cross because he was sinless. And scripture says, but on the cross, God placed the sin of mankind. And that's why we could be, I just, I, I love sharing that because it's just, it, God's in the little details, even in the biblical narratives. But this idea of taking up your cross, okay, it's an admission of guilt. It's a surrendering really of some specific things. It's a surrendering of your safety, that what Jesus is going to say is that if you're going to follow me, then, then the, 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 the future outcome of your life is surrendered. Your safety is surrendered. Your reputation is something that is surrendered, that there has to be a willingness to go all the way even to death, to give whatever is required, to to offer all that is necessary in order to make it to the end. And there's a surrendering here that's uncomfortable, and it's, it's uncomfortable for you and I, but it would have been even more uncomfortable for uh, the collective crowd who is hearing this. 
story because of all that it implied. But there's a surrender of our will, there's a surrender of our safety and our, the certainty of our future and the idea of our reputation. And then he moves on from there and he moves to this kind of backwardsness of the kingdom of God and he says, for whoever wants to save their life is going to lose it, but whoever loses it for my sake and the gospel will save it. Again, it's one of those upside down things of the kingdom of God. The first is last, the last is first. The greatest is the servant of all. All of those things that bring this upside downness of the kingdom. But ultimately what is being surrendered here is your right to your own life. It's a surrender, not just of your will, kind of for the direction of it, and not just for kind of the details or the ultimate outcome of it, but here this idea of forfeiture of your life, it's the surrender of the whole of yourself. It's a surrender of of all that you are and would be and all that you would hold greatest value over. And and those, those are hard things to think about. Those are hard places to get. And it's why oftentimes places of surrender, it's not done really all at once. If you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you've surrendered to his lordship and you have received salvation. But you're also very much aware that there are places in your life that that are really aligned with the things of God and are bearing fruit in the kingdom. And there's still some places that you would say, well, I'm a work in progress. Why is that? Because those things are constantly being addressed and incorporated into this opportunity to be re-surrendered to the Lordship of Christ and for him to bring about a change and a transformation in us. But it's an uncomfortable thing for us to think about this idea of surrender because when I think of surrender, I think about giving up, right? And we don't give up, right? These guns don't run. Isn't that how we live out here? Right? And, and we're getting ready to celebrate 4th of July, Independence Day. Like this idea of just kind of surrender, like that's not really in our kind of DNA. And what's ingrained into our culture isn't just the celebrate of independence, but individuality. So, so everything that we live in that is often celebrated, it's a, it's a huge hurdle for us because we celebrate self and self-reliance and individuality. And those are things that would set themselves up as idols of opposition to being surrendered to the things of God. And so there's, there's no wonder that we wrestle with this. For Paul, Paul makes it actually worse. Like you and I might be squirming a little bit as we talk about surrender and repentance this morning and, and, and we're ready for, the, you know, let's wrap this one up and let's get to one of those messages where we're going and doing and there's victory in Christ. We're going to get there. We'll... But Paul actually makes it even more uncomfortable when Paul talks about being uh, somebody who is submitted to the Lordship of Christ. The idea of denying yourself and taking up your cross and forfeiting your life. Paul uses the language of becoming an indentured servant. He uses the language of slavery. In Romans chapter 6 in particular, starting in verse 17, he says, Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. And so you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. In fact, in the book of Romans, one of Paul's favorite uh, usages of metaphor to identify those who are surrendered to Christ is to be a slave to Christ or a slave to righteousness. The Greek word is doulos and he uses it over and over and over and over. And so he reinforces even to a deeper degree that there is a whole abandonment of self and an ultimate subservient surrender to the Lordship of Christ. 
And for you and I, that brings us to a place where we probably want to ask this question. Uh, that sounds like I'm losing a lot. Is this really worth it? And, and maybe you've asked that. Maybe you're in a season of that right now where in an area of your life, you've looked to surrender yourself to the will of God, that you've looked align, to align yourself with the word of God, and you're looking to take steps of righteousness in that area, and, and you're, just, you're just getting hit, hit, hit. It seems like loss after loss after loss is taking place here. This question of is it, is it worth it? Is this, is this really how it's going to pan out? It seems to me that to follow Jesus in this way is going to require me to lose a whole lot. And in, in one sense, that's true. It, it will cost. And maybe you, maybe you already know that. Maybe you can look back and you can look at the friendships that you lost because you said yes to Jesus. The promotion that you were passed over or the business opportunity that was forfeited because you decided that you were going to hold to biblical principles of honesty and generosity. Maybe, uh, maybe it had to do with the time that you were willing to give towards a project and there was time that you would not because you were reserving that for the Lord or for your family. There's any number of ways that you and I could sit around and have coffee and talk about what it has cost us to follow Jesus because it has cost you something, but it cost him more. It cost him everything in order to bring us into this place where we can move forward. But still that question remains, right? Is this, is this worth it? Am, am I gonna always lose? Will it always be losses for me to pursue the things of God in my life, for me to be whole and for me to be healthy? Do I have to always lose? And I want to encourage you that you're not the first person to ask that question. In fact, you don't even have to get out of the gospel narratives to see that question asked. And in the gospel of Mark, we've started in chapter 8. But if you take a moment to move over to Mark chapter 10, you find some of the disciples asking this question. Because the invitation that Jesus gives to follow him and the cost that is required of it, it's not just talked about in Mark chapter 8, but over and over and over in the gospel narratives, he's having this conversation with people. He's saying, hey, your life is broken and your life is without purpose and meaning and you feel trapped and you feel, uh, you feel overwhelmed by darkness and, and you're listless and you're wandering and you're wondering and your heart is aching for the things of the kingdom of God. So he's constantly inviting, come and follow me, come and follow me, come and follow me. But at each turn, he's reminding them that there's gonna be things that have to change in order for them to do that. There's gonna be change that happens around them and within them for them to move forward. And those changes are always things that bring about some type Type of loss. And some of those are, are minimal losses that we would hardly even notice. And some of them are things that we actually have to make a conscious effort towards forfeiting in order to see fruitfulness in our lives. And in Mark chapter 10, we get to a place where a man of great wealth, a man of, of great affluence and influence comes to Jesus and he's lived his life according to the word of God. He's lived his life in all ways that he could understand as righteous. He's done all the right things in all the right ways. He's got influence. He's got affluence. He's a man of means, but he knows that there's something missing. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, hey, you've, you've, you've got you've to follow God's word. You've got to live according to those principles and practices. You've got to kind of uh, live a life that's aligned in these things. And the guy says, I've done all of those things since I was a little kid. What, what's missing? Because he could tell something was. And then Jesus has a conversation with him about his stuff. 
Because there was one area of his life that he had not surrendered wholly to the lordship of God. He had reserved it for himself, and it was where his wealth was. And so Jesus addresses that misalignment and says, you need to sell everything and give it to the poor and then come follow me. This is the one thing that is hindering you from actually following me. And it says that the man went away sad. And then Jesus gives a teaching on wealth and its distraction and says that it's going to be very difficult for people who are wealthy and self-satisfied in order to enter into the kingdom of God. Not because they're being punished because of their wealth, but because when we can take care of ourselves, it's really hard to surrender to the lordship of somebody else. When I get to be the lord of my castle and all that I own, it's hard for me to surrender to the lordship of another. And so he's just addressing that nuance and that challenge of will and surrender. And then Peter makes this connection. Wait a minute. I gave everything. You're telling this guy to sell all his stuff and give it to the poor and, and come and follow him. I remember when you said, hey, come and follow me. I'll make you a fisher of men. And I, have to, I had to leave my nets and everything that I knew. I left the family business and I came to follow. Like he's connecting the dots and he's looking at the other disciples and he's like, hey, wait a minute. We did that. We did that, and it still feels like we don't really have a lot, Jesus. And so he asked the question. He says, basically, what about us? Because he's feeling the loss in following Christ. He's, he's recognizing the things that, were had, uh, that he had to put aside, that he had to let go of. And so in verse 28 of Mark chapter 10, he says, we have left everything to follow you. What, what about us, Jesus? And this is Jesus' reply. And it would be his reply to you today if you're struggling in an area of your life where you're wondering if surrendering to him is gonna ultimately be worth it. He says this, truly I tell you, no one has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel. Nobody who has lost any of those things, relationship, position, resource, stuff, Nobody who has lost any of those things will fail to receive a hundred times over as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions. He didn't let us get, get a pass on that. You're going to have problems. You already know that. You don't need me to tell you. And in this age to come, eternal life. And what Jesus is reminding them is that whatever short-term loss you would have in following Jesus will ultimately be turned into a gain. Now, this isn't just kind of a, 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 a lose this and get that. It's not kind of a trade-up. It's not a formula for wealth and prosperity. But what he is very assuredly saying is that whatever it would be required to you to surrender to the Lord the sense of short-term loss will not be outweighed by the long-term gain, both now and eternity. That blessing and fruitfulness follows our posture of surrender to will of God in our lives. And we're not privy to the particulars I can't help you with the particulars of your life of how surrendering in this area is going to show itself up as blessing and fruitfulness. I'm not sure how the Lord is going to orchestrate that, but I know that Jesus says, when he says, truly I tell you that you can count on this, you can take it to the bank, 
that blessing and promise is something that follows our surrender to the will of the Lord in our life. If there's an area as we've been going through this this, uh, hero's journey, as we've been talking about your kingdom adventure, if there's an area where, where you've been looking to press into promises and blessing in your life, but you're, you're frustrated and you're repeatedly hitting the wall, could I, could I just suggest to you maybe that's a place that you need to re-surrender? That maybe you have taken the reins and you are trying to will your own plan and purpose into effect and you need to just, you need to surrender that back to the Lord. Maybe you need to surrender that relationship. You need to surrender that career path. You need to uh, surrender that priority. You need to re-surrender that resource and the stewardship of it, that whatever that would look like, that there's an opportunity for you to do that today, that we often need to take a knee of surrender before we can take our next step in our kingdom adventure. And with that, church family, I want to invite you to stand. Worship team, if you would come back forward. I want to encourage you this morning to just entertain a few questions with me. And just for a a way of closing out distractions, I would invite you to um, just kind of bow your heads. And here's some questions I would like you to consider as we move towards responding this morning in prayer. And here's the first one. Where, Where is Jesus calling you to a a place of surrender in order to move forward. You know, this could very well be a a moment of salvation, that to this point in your life, the way that you have lived has not considered the Lordship of Christ, hasn't considered his sacrificial death on the cross, hasn't considered the repentance and the forgiveness of sin. It hasn't considered the new life that is on offer. That as Jesus would say, uh, receive salvation or accept my lordship, that that hasn't entered the equation. Maybe that's your place of surrender today, to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to surrender your life to Christ. Maybe that your place of surrender is in an area of passion or pursuits. Maybe it's in an area of the way that you steward the resources God has entrusted you with. Maybe it has to do with uh, the the wrestling of of, uh, sin and its activity in your life. Maybe there's a behavior that needs to be surrendered. It needs to be resubmitted to the Lord and a change needs to come as a result of that surrendering. Maybe you've been trying to press forward into the things that God has for you. So where, where do you need to take a knee and surrender in order to take your next step into the plans and purposes that he has for your life? Maybe that has to do with surrendering to a process of being made whole. Maybe you need to surrender to a process of development that you know what Jesus is calling you to do, but you aren't doing the things to prepare yourself to be useful in that place. Maybe that's your point of surrender this morning. Where are you you to let go of serving yourself in order to find your true self in service to Christ? Maybe the things that you're pursuing, the kingdom that you're building, it's just, it's your own. It's got your name on it. And last question would be, what do you need to put down in order to pick up your cross and follow him? You know, sometimes the thing that we need to put down is the condemnation and the shame that we feel for the life that we've lived or the one that we're living presently, that we feel unworthy and so we haven't surrendered that brokenness to the Lord because we feel like we need to own that brokenness 
picking up our cross and following him, it sounds like uh, uh, a, a difficult, even punitive type of an act. But I want to remind you of Jesus's words in Matthew 11, where he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Maybe today you need to exchange the burdens of your heart and soul for carrying your cross and following him. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, if you know there's an area in your life that needs to surrender to the Lord, to be re-surrendered maybe to the Lord, if you would just place your hands out in front of you just as a symbolic gesture of offering those things to the Lord. God, we offer you our lives. Lord, we offer ourselves back to you. We re-surrender. We take a knee before you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Our loving Heavenly Father, we offer ourselves back to you. And Jesus, we would ask that you would give us the strength of your Holy Spirit to deny ourselves, to grow, to grow more and more as men and women of God who would say yes to the things of God and no to the things of self, that we would surrender our will to you. And as we grow in that discipline, that we would see our will shaped into alignment with yours, that as we would begin to say your kingdom come and your will be done, that it would be something that we hunger and thirst for as well that we would see the desires of our heart come to fruition because we're seeing your will at work in our lives. Give us the strength and give us the courage to take up our cross, to surrender our safety, to surrender our future outcome, even concern for our reputation, that we would be willing to lose all that is required in order to follow after you, that we would give all that is necessary to become the men and women of God that you are calling us to be in Christ Jesus. Lord, give us a determination to forfeit even our very life, to surrender our very self. Because Jesus, we trust you when you say it's gonna be worth it. We choose to surrender now, even to feel the pain of small loss, knowing that there is far greater gain because of your kingdom and your spirit at work in us. And Lord, for the places where we are weary and burdened, we come to you and we receive rest today. Give us the courage and strength and the leading of your spirit, the guiding of your word this week to follow after you and to when necessary to take a knee and surrender so that we can take our step of faith in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you've got a smartphone or a tablet, I want to encourage you to snap a few pictures of our action steps. You can remember those. You can catch them online this week as well. First one is consider areas in your life that are not yielded to Christ. As you kind of bump into those things, offer them back to him in surrender and then begin to move forward in the design that he has for your life.